इन दिस एपिसोड होल डिस्कशन इज गोइंग टू कवर ऑन द बेसिस ऑफ इन दिस एपिसोड होल डिस्कशन एंड डिबेट विल बी बेस्ड ऑन आवर इंटरनल एंड एक्सटर्नल सिक्योरिटी सो फेदर इट इज आवर सिक्योरिटी इशूज लाइक बॉर्डर सिक्योरिटी इंटरनल चैलेंज लाइक नॉर्थ ईस्ट नॉर्थ ईस्टर्न स्टेट बॉर्डर सिक्योरिटी टेररिज्म सो देर आर सो मेनी टॉपिक इन दिस सेक्शन दैट इज इंटरनल एंड एक्सटर्नल सिक्योरिटी सो दिस एपिसोड इज डेडिकेटेड टू आवर सिक्योरिटी सेक्शन थैंक यू सो मच In the program spotlight, now we bring you a discussion on 12 counter-terrorism dialogue between India and the European Union. The participants are Atul Aneja, strategic analyst, and Simran Sodhi, journalist. India and the European Union have called on nations to take immediate and irreversible actions to ensure no territory under their control is used for terrorist attacks on other countries. In the joint statement, while there is. no reference to any specific countries the finger pointing or we can say that the reference is very clear towards pakistan which has been the sponsor of cross border terrorism for india for a very long time and india has been raising this issue at various international forums mr neja how much of an impact does this joint statement this joint call by india and the european union make especially towards a nation like pakistan which we have seen in the last so many years has just brazenly gone on sponsoring cross it makes a major impact because uh, the fight against terrorism cannot be fought by any individual country it is uh, to be fought collectively and it has to be fought globally so the epicenter of terrorism is in pakistan so european union is a massive block which represents a large part of the globe so any kind of collaboration between india and the european union brings together huge geographical zones together which get dovetailed and united in this global fight against terrorism what is important is that there is a growing recognition that pakistan is one of the epicenters of not just domestic but global terrorism and therefore this bonding between india and european union likely to have a major impact in narrowing down and focusing on pakistan and in the process countering this international terrorism the 12th counter terrorism dialogue which was held between the european union and india in a virtual format yesterday and this dialogue provided an opportunity to continue close cooperation and coordination of this element of the eu india strategic partnership and their resolve to support each other in this fight against terrorism mr neja as you pointed out this is a close bond between india and eu today and when one looks at pakistan or other nations one also is coming up with the problem that usually these nation states are then being supported by other nation states for example india has seen that every time we have gone to the united nations to get international sanctions against some terrorists in pakistan it is countries like china which support pakistan so how does india then manage to get around this problem and how does this india eu cooperation further help in that effort in the two aspects one is the sort of a bilateral bonding between india and the european union now yesterday's meeting there was decision taken to comprehensively work together to counter all dimensions of terrorism 
So from intelligence sharing between Europol and CBI to financially countering terrorism to share information. So there are various layers of fighting terrorism and just the front end of which is the use of military force in a way or counter-terrorism activity or coordination. So this is going to be major. Irrespective of what happens at the United Nations, there is a new flank which has been created between India, which can take on action bilaterally and need not be hostage to certain countries trying to prevent constructive action being taken by the United Nations. So this is a separate track which gets opened out. And here I would like to mention that within the European Union, India and France are developing a very special relationship. We can see it in the military field in the way the Rafale aircraft have been purchased by India and are being used to deter Chinese uh, aggression in Ladakh. We have a nuclear energy agreement with France. So France is becoming a very important element within the European Union. And we are also seeing France interested in the Indo-Pacific Quad, the four countries which have come together. And France wants to become a member in the Indian Ocean and the Pacific. So I think the European flank is very important, and especially the French element in it is, I think, going to add a lot of teeth in this overall cooperation between India and the European Union. And you mentioned about France. I also wanted to bring about the fact that, you know, France itself has seen some barbaric terrorist attacks happening in its own countries. We saw what happened in Nice recently. And we've seen the French President Emmanuel Macron really step up and defend the country's secular nature and criticize the terrorist activities. Do you feel that the fact that Europe generally and France in particular is also now experiencing terrorism on their soil, that they perhaps understand India's perspective better when it comes to issues of terrorism? This is an entire new ballgame. The attacks which have taken place in Nice, in France, have been big wake-up call to Europe that it is a victim of international terrorism, which is like a hydra which has its various roots spread across vast spaces of the globe including Pakistan and therefore there is a realization in Europe that it can't fight terrorism on its own. It has to have allies with it on this front and India itself is a victim of terrorism. So there is a common thread between the two. There is an ideological element here as well because these are mostly democracies who have been victims of terrorism. So as a result of that, I think there is a new realization and a new vigor with which Europe is looking at India and India is looking at Europe to work together at an elevated level to counter the scorch of international terrorism, which, as you said, one of the epicenters is Pakistan, but there are others as well. In Syria, for example, you have the ISIS, which is coming up, which is trying to get into India. So there is this entire uh, gamut of terrorist activity the world over. And Europe realizes it can't do it alone. It needs India as a partner. Perhaps we may need a couple of other countries as well at some point in time. Because such is the challenge posed by terrorism to peace and stability across the globe. Mr. Reza, how do you see this bat which has been going on between Macron and the Turkish president Erdogan? We also see that there has been certain backlash to Emmanuel Macron taking this really strong stand. And we've had protests in some countries. They've called for the boycott of French products. Do you feel that there is a push against various elements and we have Emmanuel Macron pushing in a certain direction? We see the shifting contours of terrorism. France is on the front line right now. 
But you mentioned Turkey coming in. So I think apart from Pakistan, one of the fountainheads of support for international terrorism, unfortunately, is Turkey. In fact, you have this new alliance which has come up between Turkey and Pakistan being the most prominent among them. When Mahathir Mohammed was the president of Malaysia, we saw Malaysia also coming into the picture. As a, separately from the organization of Islamic Conference, the OIC. So there's a new grouping which is coming together. We see Turkey, Azerbaijan, Pakistan threatening Armenia. So we have a new kind of a, in which there are terror elements who had exfiltered from Syria who are part of it. So we see terrorism is trying to take a new shape and there are new backers which have emerged. Contrary to what used to be there since since 9/11, where we had Afghanistan and Pakistan, later only Syria. But Turkey is definitely the new element which is coming in. Turkey is also a NATO member. It's a mid-sized economy as well. We see Erdogan supporting the Hamas in Palestine earlier, and now he has spoken out even against Kashmir very strongly. And we see Imran Khan and Erdogan again bonding. So I think we got to keep an eye on Turkey as a spreader of a supporter of terrorism to meet its geopolitical ends, not just Europe, but also in Asia and including India. So I think the Europeans and us and French and us have to keep a sharp eye on the activities of Turkey and Pakistan. We don't see Pakistan alone anymore. We have to see it jointly with Turkey. Because such is the magnitude of their quote-unquote cooperation. Ms. Sandra, we also saw that yesterday in the talks between India and EU, they exchanged views on counter-terrorism challenges, including radicalization and violent extremism, terror financing and terrorist use of the internet. When we talk of radicalization, do you feel that this ties into the conversation we've been having and this is something we are seeing in Europe, we are seeing globally that how the world today globally also has to find a way of dealing with radicalization as a way of dealing with extremism and terrorism the world over? This is important, the ideological element of radicalization and the need to re-radicalize. But I think we got to go deeper and look at the deeper economic and geopolitical roots of this radicalization. In fact, if you really see what's happening in Europe, you cannot lose sight of the fact that another wave of terrorism started with so-called the global war or terrorism when the U.S. invaded Iraq and virtually destroyed it to moonscape. And then you had the regime changes which took place, especially in Libya. So you had, because of this, you had this mass of people who then moved into Syria and other places. And joining them were the Pakistanis and some Afghan people who were also fleeing the war in Afghanistan. So you had this roots of that can be traced to this these wars which had started at that time. And unfortunately, after the war, there has been nothing done to invest and reconstruct those broken societies. So there are definite economic roots to that. So I think if you have to fight terrorism or de-radicalize, it can't be just on the ideological end in terms of re-education or for want of any other word. But you've got to look at it comprehensively. And you've got to look at it, and why do people get radicalized? Is it because they don't have jobs or because, or is it just ideology or just migrants displaced people of war? So we got to look at it in a comprehensive manner. And when we fight terrorism, we must look at the economic foundation which breeds terrorism and go then up on various aspects on the ideological plane and in terms of internet network, intelligence sharing and use of military force. So it is a full spectrum of options we got to explore. I don't think without a comprehensive approach to fighting terrorism, we're going to go very far. 
As you mentioned, the role of the United States in this entire discussion, and we have seen that the U.S. has waged various wars in various parts of the world, Iraq, Afghanistan. We also see a change come January. We will have a new administration. We will have a new president. Do you feel that this new presidency of Joseph Biden will probably help the world, European Union, India, and other countries combat this? terrorism better because it is going to be a different presidency from what we had in the last four years. You had Obama administration, the Democrats in power at that time. And a lot of this regime changes, uh, policies we started with George Bush were continued by the Obama administration. And the entire Libyan episode was when the Democrats were in power. And I was in Benghazi covering that event. And I could see how Gaddafi, in my view, was demonized. And thereafter, we know what's happened to Libya. And it's developing into various war zones and factionalized. And prosperous country has been brought to a precarious state. From Indians and the Europeans' perspective, we've got to look at the world in our own terms and find our own solutions to that, rather than assuming somebody will pull the chestnuts out of fire, that the Americans will do it for us. Nobody is going to do it for us. And I'm not optimistic that the Biden administration is going to be any different from the Obama administration. And the experience with that administration in terms of counterterrorism has not been good. So that's why it's, it's heartening that the Europeans and the Indians are coming together and looking terrorism in the eye by collaborating with each other and with an independent uh, mind. We also saw that yesterday in the India-EU discussion, it was also agreed that sanctions can be used as a tool to combat terrorism, including designations of certain terrorist groups and individuals. How do sanctions work and do you think sanctions actually in a real practical world, they actually work? Sanctions can work, but it is very hard for sanctions to be passed under the UN Security Council route because countries like China have vetoed. You know the case of uh, Masood Azhar and how hard it has been for us to get him designated as an international terrorist. So Jaisha Mohammed was proscribed by the United Nations Security Council. But I think sanctions become difficult because of this problem that there is no united front, unity at a sufficient level among all the permanent five members to allow for a unanimous resolution on sanctions. So economic sanctions, then comes the second option that can countries like Europe and India work together. I find it difficult that sanctions as an instrument to be used by countries like India because of this structural problems. If there is no unanimity in imposing sanctions, then there are various loopholes with which countries which are targeted for sanctions can escape those, those sanctions and move on. So it's hard without United Front being created in the UN Security Council. To answer your question, it's difficult to implement the sanctions without all coming on board. Well, let's go to the United States or so, because they, then they have this long arm kind of thing where you impose unilateral sanctions or you have a coalition of countries. Now, because of the power of America, that can get effective. For example, in the case of Iran, that's, we have seen that's how it has worked. I mean, not everyone is a United States. So I think outside the United States, it will be extremely hard to meaningfully impose any sanctions. And in the coming days, we will continue our discussion on the dialogues between the European Union and India. And with this, we bring today's discussion to an end. Thank you. Thank you. You were listening to a discussion on the 12th counter-terrorism dialogue between India and the European Union. The participants were Atul Aneja, strategic analyst, and Simran Sodhi, journalist. 
This program is produced and presented by the News Services Division of All India Radio. You can listen to it on our mobile app.